All right, welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and Liberty, welcome back for another episode. This episode was actually one that was recorded uh, about a month and a half ago. This was recorded at the end of October. It was right before the election, and I actually recorded it in my car at the same time that I recorded the vaccines episode. So this was before the election. You'll hear me mention that the election is upcoming a couple of times, Um, but I wanted to make sure that we got this episode out because now you are seeing that several states are taking action against Facebook, and they want to take antitrust action to have them broken up because Facebook is too big, they're too powerful, they take up too much of the internet. This is the same thing that you were hearing from this Democratic Antitrust Committee coming out of the House of Representatives a couple of months ago. Uh, The only difference is that back then it was coming from the left because they were scared that social media was going to cost them the election. And now it's coming from a little bit more from the right because they lost the election and these social media sites are still kind of trying to clamp down on them, but it was also uh, a little bit too close for comfort for the left. And so what you're seeing here is kind of the same thing that you get if you are a third party voter, where if the Democrats win, then the Republicans are mad at you because you made them lose because you voted third party. Or, um, you know, if the Republicans win, the Democrats are mad at you because you made them lose because you voted third party. And so people are only upset when the actions affect them in a negative way. And that's why our principles on this show are so important. And that's why uh, this episode, the principles do not change, but you will hear me talking about it coming from the left a little bit here, where now what we're seeing more in this month in December is it's a little bit more of a bipartisan effort, but probably coming a little bit more from the right in those instances. So we will watch what's going on in the news going forward to see if it's something that's worth talking about. But ultimately, the principles stay the same. Um, the things that we talk about, the the economic truths about trust busting remain the same. So just continue listening and enjoy. Thanks for listening. All right. And the other question is coming from Facebook asking if I could talk about this latest report coming from the antitrust subcommittee in the House talking about how uh, Facebook, Amazon, Google and Apple are engaging in monopolistic practices and basically that they need to take antitrust action to, to break these companies up and to loosen some of their power over the Internet. So. Uh, I'll include in the show notes the link that he sent me, which is just the official uh, government article coming about this report being released. And essentially, like I said, what they're saying is just that these companies are too powerful, that they need to be broken up because they take too much of a market share of the Internet. And that basically as, as citizens and as customers, Americans don't have enough other options to go to other places on the Internet because the reach of these companies is just so, so big. So uh, there's a a list of bullet points here that they recommend, and I'm just going to read off a few of these and just kind of explain briefly what they mean. Uh, The first one, structural separations to prohibit platforms from operating in lines of business that depend on or interoperate with the platform. Now, what that means basically is that they want to break up these companies so that they are not doing so many different things at once. So uh, this would mean maybe, you know, Google, the search engine would be broken off from Google, the company that makes software. You know, they have their WordPress 
processing app and their spreadsheet app and their photo app, you know, maybe those would be separated from the Google search engine. And then maybe from that, you would also separate the part of Google that makes Android operating system for the phones. And, you know, you may also separate it from uh, Google, the company that, you know, runs ads on all of these websites. You may break all of those different things up to try to make Google a little bit smaller. You could easily do the same thing for Apple, you know, Apple, the company that makes computers separated from Apple, the company that makes phones separated from Apple, the company that makes all of this different kind of software that they make for the computers and phones. They would just try to break these things up so that they're not so big and they're not taking over so many different things. Um, the next bullet point would also be prohibiting platforms from engaging in self-preferencing. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that a lot of these services, what they do is they try to keep you using only their services once you start. So a really good example of this would be Facebook. So what Facebook does is in their algorithms, and they've admitted this, this is no secret, this is something that you can look up and read anywhere. What they try to do is they try to keep you on the Facebook site. They try to keep you from leaving. So when you are sharing something on Facebook, uh, you know you can share somebody else's status that you liked or somebody's picture that you liked and something like that. You can post your own statuses and pictures and stuff for other people to see. Um, you can check in at different places and you can, you can go to their groups, you know, which are kind of like message boards and you can share things there. And all of those things will kind of work into the algorithms and people will see those things as you share them. But if you share your own link on Facebook, so if you try, you can do it right now. If you go to Facebook and you post a YouTube link, or you know something maybe to your personal blog or anything like that, what they'll do is they will really just work that out of the algorithm so that very few of your followers will see that because they don't want you clicking anything that's going to take you to an outside site because then once you leave their site, of course, they're not making money off the advertising anymore. Um, somebody else is making money off the time that you're spending. So what happens is they do everything they can just not to share those links at all. They just try to make very, very few people see them so that you don't end up leaving the Facebook site to go to some other site to read things. Now, uh, of course, they're not too obvious about it. They do make some exceptions for like the major news companies and stuff like that. So if you share a CNN article from CNN's Facebook page, uh, of course, they're going to be more open to sharing that. But what you'll notice that they also do is they have a browser built into the Facebook app so that when you open up that news article, you are not opening it in your internet browser that has your favorites and your history and all of your things that you like to, to click on there. Instead, they're going to open that up in the this little mini Facebook browser that is in the, the app. And there are no home, there's no home button, there's no history, there's nothing else to get you distracted. So that once you read that news article, you are only one click or one swipe away from going back into Facebook, back into the news feed, where once again, they can control the content that you're looking at, and that they own the advertising for everything that you're going to be seeing so that they can keep you on their site. You, know, you could probably argue that Google does the same thing by making so many different programs that are so accessible. You know, they have their own spreadsheet program to replace Excel, they have their own Google Docs, which is supposed to uh, replace Microsoft Word, you know, all of those things, try to make it so that you stay with that one service and that they can keep you there for as much as much time and as many tasks as they possibly can. And um, that's what they're talking about when they talk about this, this self-preferencing that they do. Um, this is also something that came up in our very first official episode of this podcast where I talked about how they went after Microsoft because Microsoft had the audacity to include their internet browser, Internet Explorer, on their operating systems. And so the customers didn't have an opportunity to 
download other browsers and said they were left with Internet Explorer, even though, as most of you know, the common joke is that the only reason Internet Explorer was ever on the computer was to take you to the Firefox site so that you could download Firefox or, you know, later on Google Chrome or uh, Brave is my personal favorite now. Um, but the argument that the government is making there is that that is a monopolistic practice and they have to break that up. And as you heard me mention in the first episode, if you listen to that, you know, what basically what they did was they threatened Microsoft with a whole bunch of antitrust stuff until Microsoft agreed to play ball and to build their building close to uh, a lot of these, you know, legislation buildings in Washington so that they could be in on that to basically uh, allow the government to have a hand in what's going on in the business and to prevent smaller competitors from popping up and, and you know, putting their business in danger as well. So also, this trust committee wants to uh, mandate the platforms provide due process before taking action against market participants. Basically, that means that the government wants to be able to tell them whether they're allowed to sue other companies for anything like that. Um, also, uh, the next bullet point, establishing a standard to prescribe strategic acquisitions that reduce competition. Uh, what that means is they want Facebook or whoever to go through the government before they buy up any other companies or any other sites. A good example of this would be like Facebook uh, when they bought Instagram for a billion dollars. That was one of their big, you know, I don't know if you would necessarily call it a competitor or not because the two social media sites do two very different things and they're very different environments, but uh, Facebook saw that people were spending time on this Instagram site just as much or more than Facebook. And so they wanted to make sure that they could get in on some of that money and some of that advertising. So they simply bought them up. This legislation that they're suggesting or that they're proposing would, would limit Facebook and other companies from doing stuff like that. Um, improvements to the Clayton Act, the Sherman Act, and the Federal Trade Commission Act to bring these laws in line with the challenges of the digital economy. So basically what they're saying is, yes, we're already regulating everything else that you could possibly buy in the real world. Now we want to make sure that you're, we're able to regulate these things uh, on the internet as well. Uh, eliminating anti-competitive forced arbitration clauses. What that means is when you get into, um, there are a lot of different industries that do this, but, but tech is a big one. Uh, you have to sign non-complete, non-compete clauses so that that when you leave one company, a lot of times you're not allowed to work for another tech company for like a year or two years, something like that. Uh, they're very strict about the kind of ideas and the kind of things that you take away because obviously their biggest asset is what they're able to build and what they're able to create that other people can't do. And so a lot of times these businesses can be very, very cutthroat and it just can be, you know, incredibly dangerous for you as an employee uh, to leave and try to start your own thing or to leave and go to another company. And so what that would do is hopefully, you know, step in on those kind of things and, and make it a little bit easier for employees to leave one place and go to the next. Uh, strengthening Federal Trade Commission and Antitrust Division of the Department of Justice. Um, so that would just mean as well, giving more power, more positions for um, these government agencies to overlook what happens on the internet, what kind of things get shared, uh, how they make money and all of these different things. And finally, the last bullet point, and promoting greater transparency and democratization of the antitrust agencies, which of course simply means um, less privacy for these companies, that the government's going to be able to look into the way that they're doing things. They're going to be able to share that information uh, with the public. And so a lot of that knowledge is going to become more public knowledge, which as we just talked about, and as they mentioned in just one or two bullet points before, kind of violates how they like to do business and kind of violates, you know, what their business is built on, which is the products that they create. So, um, you know, of course, they're going to be secretive about the way that they do things because they don't want people to know what kind of strategies they're using and that kind of thing. And then, of course, 
throwing that word democracy in there. They want to make sure that if something goes against their interests in government or the way that these websites are being used or the kind of information or the kind of posts that people are sharing on these websites, um, they want to be able to step in and put a stop to those. Just like you heard, you know, in the 2016 election, Russian trolls were buying ads on the dark web when, you know, of course that sounds really scary, but anybody who knows anything about the internet knows that most people can't even get on the dark web. So uh, how are these ads going to influence the election in any way? But that's not important. The, the important thing is that something big and scary happened and we have to take more power to make it stop. So what is happening here and why is it happening now? Why is this, this occurring this way? Well, this is something that, and, and I don't know why they don't call it this, because honestly, I think this would be a really smart way to market it. And I, I think I might just trademark the phrase and then just charge the Democrats, you know, 20 bucks anytime that they want to use it. But I would call this common sense economics. And just in the same way that they often propose common sense gun control, what that kind of phrase does is when you say, I just want common sense gun control, you know, we don't want to take away all the guns. We, we want common sense gun control. Well, what's common sense for you may be very different than what's common sense for me. What I think is a reasonable level of regulation may be something completely different from what you think is a reasonable level of regulation. And, and common sense is something that we all have about one area or another. But just like I mentioned that the scientists in the vaccine making the vaccines earlier, there may be things that are common sense to them that to most of us, just we simply don't know because we don't exist in that area. And so it's a really good way to bring people in, just like I mentioned in the Black Lives Matter and Antifa episode, where using that kind of phrase is a really good way to bring people in to the things that you want to do, uh, because they say, of course, I believe in common sense gun control. Of course, I believe that Black Lives Matter. And you can bring them in using that technique. And then once they kind of feel like they're assimilated to you and to your cause, then you're able to dictate to them what that phrase really meant. And so in this instance, I would call it common sense economics. Of course, we don't want businesses to get too big. Of course, we don't want corporations to take over the country. Of course, we don't want anyone to have a monopoly in any kind of space. Because if you jump in on that, then you're going to be simply one step away from advocating away for legislation like this, where they're trying to, you know, kind of step in and regulate these internet companies. But the question instead that I would push back against that, the question that I would ask and the thing that I would bring up is, are monopolies really that dangerous? Because especially when we're talking about free markets, which is something that we absolutely believe in in the show, if it's a free market and if people are free to spend their money how they please or not spend their money how they please or use whatever services they please, then there may be a monopoly, but there's always the risk of that business losing customers and losing its market share. So if you're talking about in a free market, the way that we believe on the show, there very well may be monopolies that pop up. And as long as you have a free market and people are free to spend their money or use services or not spend their money or not use services as they please, that monopoly is never going to be a real danger to anyone's freedom or to the economy or anything like that. Because as long as people are free to leave, that monopoly is never safe. If you look back way, way back to, to retail, when the Sears and Roebuck company started sending out catalogs, and this was a big change to the way that people bought things because suddenly you didn't have to go to your local store 
and shop for the things that they only had on their floor that they could hold. Instead, there were warehouses full of these items and furniture and whatever else it was that you wanted to buy. And you were able to just look through pictures of them in a catalog and send them a check and they would have that delivered to your house. And that seemed really unfair to all of these local shops that they couldn't keep up with something like that. So Sears was able to take a big part of the market share by doing that. But as time progressed, as things moved on, uh, eventually, you know, you, you move way, way forward down the line and you have something like Walmart where they're suddenly buying things in bulk and keeping them in their own warehouses. But then they're also putting them in these superstores, which are almost like a warehouse in themselves where you can go to one place and buy almost anything that you would need for your house. And especially later on into the nineties, when they started taking on groceries, it was game over. They were a monopoly. They, people were complaining that they were going to run all of these other places out of business and that nobody stood a chance against them because they were able to do so much and sell everything for so cheap. But consumers are relatively happy with this because they are able to go to one place and they are able to save money by going somewhere like Walmart where they could get all of this at once. And then you fast forward another 10, 20, 30 years and this tiny bookstore that was started in some guy's garage grew into Amazon.com. And suddenly that is taking over so much of the market share. And people are complaining that that's a monopoly because now they're taking all of these things more than you could ever get at Walmart, more than any of those places could ever hold. And they're delivering them right to your door. And usually within a day or two, you're able to get just about anything that you want. And once again, it's usually cheaper than you can get it anywhere else. And people were complaining about what this is doing to other businesses. But as you can see, somewhere like Sears that took over, and now they're almost completely irrelevant, and they're either bankrupt or on the verge of bankrupt, uh, you've got Walmart who took over sometime after them, and suddenly you know, they're on their heels trying to keep up because they've lost a lot of the market share. And now Amazon is on top, but they will only be on top as long as they can provide the best possible service. Otherwise, sooner or later, somebody is going to knock them off the top and somebody else is going to take over because somebody else is going to be trying to outdo them, trying to keep up with them and, and trying to make money for themselves. And people will complain about these monopolies, but you look, you can even look back at the life of, of, of John Rockefeller. You know, this guy was the ultimate monopoly man. He, you know, had his business and he would buy up any businesses that would try to compete with him. And if there were businesses that were trying to compete with him that didn't want to sell to him, sometimes he would make shell corporations and he would get those, those competing businesses to merge with the shell business instead. And then they would only find out afterward that they had actually merged with John Rockefeller when that's not what they wanted to do. Um, and he would buy up all of the oil so that they couldn't get the supplies to compete with him. And at one point he even bought up a bunch of railroads so that they couldn't ship the materials to compete with him. And a lot of times the way he's kind of looked at is this, this big, evil, scary guy because he's doing all of this. But if you look at his life and you look at all of the things that he had to do to keep that monopoly, he was constantly on his heels. He was constantly having to react to all of the other competition around him to make sure that he could stay on top. And even when he's buying up these other companies and buying up his competitors, you got to realize that no one's forcing them to sell to him. And that in order to buy another company, you've got to be able to offer them enough money that it's worth it for them to walk away from their business. Because if they can make a whole lot more money by staying in business, then obviously they're going to stay in business. They're not going to take your small check. They're, they're going to continue making the money from the consumers as they use that business over and over again. So you've got to make them a big enough offer 
that you can actually convince them to step back and to walk away from their business. So that is not cheap. That's something that's expensive. So when you look at these businesses and these companies that are, are doing things like this, yes, it's really easy to call them evil and it's really easy to talk about how it's putting other people out of business and all of this kind of stuff. But if you look at the amount of business that's being done through them, you know, Amazon, for example, small mom and pop places are able to sell through Amazon now. And now they're not just limited to their city. They can sell to anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world. And you look at the cost that it takes to keep that business up and to make sure that you're maintaining that business and that market share as well as you are, it's a lot of work and it's only going to happen as long as you are staying on top of things and you are making your customers happy. And really the best thing, the only thing that can really stop other smaller businesses from trying to catch up with you is if you're able to join with the government, if you're able to get them to write in regulations that are too expensive for the little guy to keep up with, just like I said in the first episode, that helps protect you. If you've got to make sure that they've got licenses and that they've got panels and panels of lawyers that can keep up with all of the rules and all of these kind of things, that's what helps keep them down. It's not your market share. Instead, it's the government mandates that really keep them down. Otherwise, all they have to do is to provide a service and get people to pay for that service. And in that arena, the best quality of product is the one that's going to win. And if you are smaller and you can provide a product that, that Amazon can't, people are going to go to you if they like that product and if they want to buy from you and you can make it worth their while to do that. So um, I definitely think that it's a, it's a bad idea from the antitrust standpoint, from a business standpoint. I just don't like that. You know, ultimately, I think that that's, it's not going to help anything. It's only going to make things worse. It's only going to solidify the monopoly that those companies have in the internet right now because it's going to be too expensive for anybody else to step up and compete with them. And the other reason they're doing this, aside from the common sense economics aspect of it, is that the internet is just basically the, the place of ultimate free speech. You can share any information. You can share any ideas. You can say just about anything you want on the internet. And to any establishment class, this can be incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And right now you see this happening from the left because they're really, really upset that, you know, like I mentioned before, that, that Donald Trump was basically able to use the internet and was able to use social media to really gain steam during the 2016 election. And that if it, if it weren't for the internet, if it weren't for conservatives being able to find each other and talk about things and share this kind of information with each other, Donald Trump would not have been able to win that race. Instead, the corporate media would have simply told us Hillary Clinton is qualified. Uh, there are no scandals around her. She is experienced. She is the best person for the job. And this is the person that you should vote for. And that, and that pretty much would have been it. But because of this free speech on the Internet, instead, that didn't happen. And instead, Donald Trump was able to pull off this victory. And he still has quite a bit of support. And a lot of that reason is because these, these gatekeepers cannot shut down what his message is or what his messengers are talking about. So they don't have any control over that. So obviously the Democrats are upset that you know, the, the right is gaining strength and gaining power through this, through the internet. And they want to make sure that they have methods and the, the power and the authority to step in and, and to, you know, be sure that they can restrain the kind of speech and the kind of ideas that they don't like. And to make sure that hopefully they can kind of maintain the power because where it used to be that you were only getting your information from, you know, three different news channels who were all basically saying kind of the same thing. Um, now, you know, suddenly you've got Fox news pushing, you know, a more right-wing view. Um, you've got MSNBC and CNN pushing things kind of coming from the left. And it's kind of obvious to everybody where their, um, you know, kind of biases are coming from. But then you have infinite 
limit other kind of news channels and websites and places that you can get information from. You're listening to this podcast right now that would never be approved by the corporate media, but instead we're able to share these ideas. You're able to get these ideas for free every single time I put out a new episode. And that is an incredible, incredible thing, an incredible power that we all have access to. But it's something that, once again, the establishment is very concerned because they cannot restrain that. And so ideas that are dangerous to them or ideas that they do not like can still be shared very, very freely. And that is a problem to them and they wanna make sure that they can rein that in. But even if they do manage to pass this legislation, even if they do manage to rein it in, we still have more technology than ever and we're able to share things in ways that, that we were never able to before and people are still going to do what they want to do and they're going to find ways to do it and that's the beautiful thing about humanity and the the beautiful thing about the times that we live in and the freedom that we have through the internet and Uh, Thaddeus Russell has a book called Renegades of the United States or Renegades of United States History. And kind of one of his main premises of that book is that the people who change history aren't necessarily these big figures that you see, uh, you know, up on the wall or the, the, the presidents that you see on the dollar bills. That instead, the people who changed history were the citizens of this country who simply did the things that they wanted to do and who simply acted the way and lived the way that they wanted to live. And that they were the ones who changed culture and changed history. That it wasn't these big stuffy people who were sitting up on a pedestal telling us all how we were supposed to act. That it was the people who were actually shaping history and shaping culture. And he gives a really good example about how in World War I, a lot of the progressive thinkers were really, really encouraged by what they saw. Because they were able to see the United States basically take on the form of a socialist government because World War One was such a big, big war and it required so many resources and so many men to, uh, to throw into the meat grinder, as Dan Carlin would say. The government kind of had to take on this, this socialist form so that they could direct all of the industry and they could direct all of the economy and they could make sure that they were sending the men where they needed to send them in. They were able to send the materials, the steel and the wool and all of the things that they needed to make clothes and weapons. They were able to send it all where they needed to to send it and, and direct the workers where they needed to direct it. And the Americans pretty much just pulled together and did what they were told. And it really was a very relatively smooth, relatively successful socialist experiment because everyone was banded together for this war effort and they were all dedicated to doing whatever they had to do to help their country. And so the progressives really, really loved this. And this really, really opened their eyes to what was possible when you could get the people to buy in and when you could get the government to direct it properly. But the problem with this was eventually the war ended. And as we went back to peacetime, people started becoming a little bit more self-focused again. And people were a little bit more interested in leisure and people were a little bit more interested in buying things for pleasure that that they simply enjoyed. And so you couldn't simply tell them, you know, don't buy too many clothes or, you know, don't buy up all the tea because we need to send it overseas or whatever, you know, different kind of things it is that people started to buy things once again because they enjoyed them. And so that became a really frustrating thing for, you know, kind of what the progressives were doing. And as this hack kind of ended at the same time, You've got a lot of women who are moving into the cities as the cities become more industrial and and kind of office life is starting to take over into the 20s, um, where you've got these young girls and they're moving into the cities and they're single and they're living alone and they're working these office jobs as secretaries or whatever throughout the week and they're making their own money and then they spend their weekends going out and shopping 
and buying things for themselves or taking, you know, small trips or kind of being tourists or whatever it was. And they would go out with their other girlfriends and they would go and they lived the way that they wanted to live. And this was very frustrating to a lot of people because the progressives are upset with them because, because they want people to be working toward the common goal. They want people to be working for the country. They want people to be spending their time and spending their money working on things that the government has directed and deemed to be good for the economy. And they don't want them just going out and buying more clothes or just taking, you know, boat rides or, you know, buying coffee and tea or whatever else it is that they're wanting to do. They want them doing things that are good for the economy, right? And at the same time, you've got a lot of the feminists who are frustrated with these women because the feminists have been fighting for their rights to vote. They've been fighting for their rights to, you know, take high positions in companies. They've been fighting for their uh, ability to be respected as thinkers and authors and speakers. And they're trying to do all of these great academic things to move the needle toward feminism. And these women are just wasting their time by once more going out and shopping and doing the things that they want to do instead of pushing toward these ideological goals. And then once more, you've got the conservatives who are kind of frustrated with these women because instead of turning 18 and getting married and cooking and cleaning and popping out babies, instead they're living single and they're living lives that they want to live and they're doing what they want to do. But because these women persisted in these things and it wasn't, you know, necessarily a huge fight. It wasn't necessarily anything that you, you know, see these struggles in the history books, but instead they simply did what they wanted to do. And they ignored the people that were frustrated with them and they continued to work and shop. And when they got around to getting married and having kids, then they did it. And when they got around to becoming politically active, then they did it, but they didn't do it until they were ready and they didn't do it until they wanted to. And that was something that was really special and really changed the way that our economy worked in spite of what the progressives and the feminists and the conservatives thought at the time was best for them or best for society. And I think that that's the same thing that you're going to see here, that even if it's not political, even if it's not people who are interested in voting for Donald Trump or voting for Joe Biden, that you're still going to see that the establishment is going to lose control of people. And that the best way to maintain control over your own life is to simply do the things that you want to do. And if somebody stands in your way, then you can simply find another way to do it. And that may be on the internet or that may be otherwise. You know, we see right now that, you know, Facebook and Twitter are, you know, kind of the two main social media companies and that they've done a lot to try to suppress what uh, conservatives are saying and what conservatives are trying to share. And so now what you've seen pop up in the, the country a lot of times just over the past several weeks are these, these Trump parades or these Trump caravans where they've taken to the streets and they're honking their horns and flying their Trump flags and they're, they're kind of slowing down traffic. And that's something that's very frustrating um, if you're stuck behind it or anything like that. But these people are showing that if you're going to shut down their means of communication on Facebook, if you're going to shut down their means of communication on Twitter or anything else, that they're going to take to the streets or they're going to find other ways to show their support for the candidate that they like. Now, as you've heard me say on this podcast plenty of times, I don't particularly care for Donald Trump. I definitely don't care for Joe Biden. Those kind of things aren't what concerns me, but it is proof in action that people are going to find ways to express themselves. People are going to find ways to share ideas. And if it is not on the internet, if it is not on Facebook, then it's going to be somewhere else. And 
no matter what happens, people are going to continue to move toward these things, even as the establishment fights against it. So coming back to this antitrust thing, um, hopefully it doesn't work. Ultimately, it's bad for business. Ultimately, it will give Facebook and Google and Apple um, more control of the internet and not less of it as those methods are intended to do. But even if they do go through, there is still so much hope to be had in what you believe is, you know, in freedom of speech or freedom of ideas or, you know, freedom of expression, whatever those kind of things are, they can still work and they still will work. And we can be excited about that as we move forward because people are resilient and people in masses can do great things by simply just enjoying themselves and doing the things that they want to do. So, with that being said, I'm going to get out of here. I'm running out of time, but I wanted to make sure that I answered that question and shared that with you. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like and subscribe and, and give ratings and all those great things that I ask you to do every single episode. And uh, until then, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.